On this edition of the Discover the Word podcast, Old Testament scholar Dr. Amanda Bankhausen joins us for some conversations based in Genesis 1 through 3 about being human. I remember when I was pregnant with my first child and I decided I was going to refresh my Hebrew. And so I don't know why. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> but in any case, I started from Genesis 1 and I remember reading through Genesis 1 in Hebrew and I was struck by how much life was reflected just in the words. Like the whole text seemed to be teeming with this mm. life that God had embedded within the creation itself. And I was like, this is so cool. This life that's growing in me, yes. this life that's in the text, mm-hmm. the words just jumping out from the page. God creates humankind hmm. in his image. Yeah, so pull your chair up with the group as we explore some things those first three chapters of Genesis say about being human. And it is great to have you here for another hour of studying the Bible together. Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And for this study, regular group members Marty Hahn and Elisa Morgan and Daniel Ryan Day have a guest at the table with them. It is Dr. Amanda Bankhausen. She was a member of the Old Testament faculty at Calvin Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan for a number of years and is currently the director of Safe Church Ministry for the Christian Reformed Churches of North America. And for this podcast, we asked her to explore with us five perspectives in those initial chapters of the Bible about being human, five things we were created for. And so let's listen as Daniel welcomes Amanda to our Bible study group, and we begin the study of Genesis 1 through 3. Today we have the privilege of having a guest with us who I'm very excited to hear from because all of us like to grow, and Dr. All of us need to grow. Need to grow, (laughs) big time. Yeah, and Dr. Amanda Bankhausen is a Old Testament scholar, and of course you all know that I nerd out about the Old Testament Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we're really glad to have you with us, so thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's what a joy to be able to gather with others who Mm -hmm. love the scriptures Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. study the word together, Mm -hmm. so welcome. Delighted to be here. And it is Old Testament, right? It is Old Testament. Okay. Are there any particular things that you have been most inspired by in the Old Testament or what made you want to focus in on the Old Testament to begin with? That's a great question. Oh, yeah. Well, when I was in seminary, I grew to love the Hebrew language. And one of the reasons I loved Hebrew is because it is... Uh, such a playful language. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Greek, by contrast, is very precise. It's very particular. But Hebrew is a little looser and it's a little <laughs> more playful and it invites the reader into a relationship of engaging the language more imaginatively. And so yeah. I loved the language and the language helped me enter into the storied quality and character of the Old Testament narratives. Mm. And it's interesting you used, it helps you get into the storied, Mm -hmm. that word storied Mm -hmm. narrative of the Old Testament, Mm. because it is a story Mm -hmm. in many ways. How does it help, I guess, capture that story spirit? Yeah, I think part 
partly because the language um, creates images in your mind and the repetition of words throughout a narrative sort of helps you focus in on some of the main themes and and again the playfulness like there are gaps in the narratives that leave you wondering huh what isn't being told what isn't being said and Hmm. you know what do I as a reader supply because there's this gap in the narrative to help flesh out the narrative and so there's a playfulness but without leaving the reader without a Um, guidelines in terms of how to read the narrative Hmm. that I find fascinating. I don't know about all of you, but every time I read an Old Testament narrative, I learn something new. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. see it afresh. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I didn't notice that before. Mm -hmm. And that quality of the scriptures in general, but the Old Testament in particular, just keeps me coming back for more. I'm like, yeah, but you're reading it in Hebrew, right? (laughs) Or Or are you referring to it just in English? translation as well well you can in english translation you get a lot our Mm -hmm. english translations are quite good so Mm -hmm. and are you saying the word pictures are better in hebrew better understood is that what you're saying i think there are elements to reading in an original language that give you more than you could get if you read in translation so yeah Mm. i do think sometimes we miss things Mm -hmm. because we read in our english translations Mm -hmm. and not in the hebrew Mm -hmm. i remember for instance, when I was pregnant with my first child and I decided I was going to refresh my Hebrew. And so I don't know why <laughs> Who does that. <laughs> but in any case, I started from Genesis 1 and I remember reading through Genesis 1 in Hebrew. And I was struck by how much life was reflected just in the words, like the whole text seemed to be teeming with this Mm. life that God had embedded within the creation itself. And I was like, this is so cool. This life that's growing in me, this life that's in the text, Mm -hmm. the words just jumping out from the page, speaking of this creation that God has made Mm. with um, all the possibility for procreation, all Mm -hmm. the possibility Mm -hmm. for rejuvenating itself. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is amazing. Experiencing it all anew as it happened within you and reading it. but feeling it Mm -hmm. in the language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's neat. And that's where we're going to start in this series, right, is in the first chapter of Genesis. So I already hear a challenge in Mm -hmm. there, which is, okay, you've read this a bunch of times. (laughs) Maybe listen afresh as we dive Mm into the conversation. So where should we start? Yeah, Genesis 1, and looking particularly at verses 26 through 28, we're going to spend some time reflecting on what it means to be human. And it seems like Hmm. this is one of the best places to start. (laughs) I know in my studies, sometimes people start in Genesis 2 or Genesis 3 to sort of discern what it means to Mm -hmm. be human or what it means to be male and female. But the scriptures themselves start with Genesis Mm -hmm. 1. I'll start it and go around. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Yeah. It's a beautiful description of God's creation of humanity, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've been struck as I've been studying this text is that the tendency is to focus in on the male and female part. Mm-hmm. I think we live in a world where we like to put labels on things. I don't know if that's <laughs> been your experience, like to I'm order sure. your world in a way, right? Yep. Where are you from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How old are you? What do you do? Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. We sort of structure our world and interpret our world by the labels or the categories in which we put people, right? So we define people by their gender, the color of their skin, their age, their age, Mm -hmm. their ability. So we're very good at labeling. And I think it's a natural human propensity that we want to categorize our world as a way to sort of interpret what is going on around us, right? I don't think that's a good or a bad thing. But what I'm struck by in this particular text is the resistance to breaking it down between male and female, and more the focus on God created humankind in our image, in our likeness. And the fact that they're male and female actually seems to be almost secondary. Mm. It's mm. not the primary. Yeah. The primary is the image of God. The, the primary is the image of mm. God, that God creates humankind in his image as a matter of first importance yes yeah yeah as a matter of primary importance yeah and then even after that the purpose that he gives humankind right even that is the next layer well before we get to that there's some kind of division between humankind or some kind of label that we add so it's like the first piece is the image second piece is the purpose (laughs) it's much later in the story that we get to the point of oh and One's man and one's woman. Right. In a way that is significant, right? In a way that has any kind of meaning to that labeling or that categorization, right? So Hmm. So you're saying even in the reference to in the image of God, he created them. It's that it's in the likeness of God that he created them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So carrying through the, the matter of first importance. Yeah. Right. And they happen to be male and female, but more important is that both of them are created in the image of God, and both of them are given the same purpose, the mm-hmm. same um, mandate to rule over the earth and um, to be fruitful and increase in number, to fill the earth and subdue it, to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What does it really mean to be created in the image of God Yeah, compared to a fish or a other acts of creation? Yeah, it's a great question. So what do you think? What have you heard of what it means to be created in the image of God? (laughs) I've heard that that word image, speaking of Hebrew imagery and language, it's the same word that can be used for idols, so making images. Mm. And so perhaps one of the reasons later in the story God says don't make an image Mm -hmm. is because I already did. (laughs) You are my image. That's one thing I've heard. Hmm. I think of a sacredness in that we represent him. Mm-hmm. And I think that should shape how we view each other and ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think in a common sense, we often just think in terms of human personality that is 
to some extent different than the animals enjoy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, the distinction or the labeling or the categorization that we see in Genesis 1 is actually the differentiation between the animal world and the human world. And I know <laughs> that some would raise questions yeah, about that. Yeah, dogs are pretty precious. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that does seem to be the distinction that is being mm-hmm. made, that somehow mm-hmm. human beings are different than the animals that were created and the animals are different than the trees and the plants and the plants and the trees are different than the stars and the sun and the moon. Right. And, but I think it's important to recognize that the difference that is being emphasized here is not between male and female, that both are being created in the image of God. Both are commissioned with the same commission. And Daniel, to your point, uh, yeah, Old Testament scholars would say that in fact being created in the image of God is about God establishing his created beings, his human beings, as those who would image him in this world, right? Hmm. The way an idol kind of images a God in the world, except God doesn't have images made of stone. He has living breathing images who can exercise his dominion as ambassadors in his place. And he gives that to human beings. That's how we image God. We image God in the way that we exercise this mandate to rule over the world. And in Genesis 2, it talks about taking care of it. Hmm. We exercise God's love and care for creation, right? That's how we are image bearers. So the first perspective that we find there in Genesis is that being human means that we are created in the image of God. That's the foundation. That's the headline for what we'll be discovering together this week. We were created with a purpose to be image bearers. Dr. Amanda Benkhausen at the table with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Daniel Ryan Day. And the study here on the Discover the Word podcast is called Being Human. As we continue reading in Genesis, we get to kind of a surprising statement in chapter 2, something about God's good creation that is described as not good. So what is it that is not good? It reveals another important part of being human. How have you all been doing during COVID? How Mm. is that How is it with your souls? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's not a good question to ask. No, it's not just the world that has changed. We have changed, haven't we? We have. have. I'm wondering how long it'll take for us to realize how shaped we've been by the pandemic. I don't know that we can figure that out yet. Mm -hmm. You know, often it takes quite a few years to look back and realize, wow, I see the world differently as a result of that. Mm -hmm. We've joked about around the table, most of us are introverted which people might be surprised by, but we're not. (laughs) And uh, uh, so there have been some happy ramifications of the quietness of COVID. But we've also recognized that the only way we've been able to do legitimate work Mm. for Discover the Word via remote recording, where we're in different parts of the country, truly, mm-hmm. is because we built what Daniel called relational equity, or, or we, we built <laughs> yeah. this base of relationship, right. you know, mm-hmm. in presence with each other. And therefore, we've been able to to bank on that yep. and live out of that. Yeah. And we still get together several times a year now. Thank you, Lord. Right. But it has shaped us. It really has. What about you? How's it? Yeah. Well, similar. I am 
mostly introverted. And so at first, I kind of relished the moments where I had alone. And I was like, (laughs) this is good. But as time went on, I began to realize more and more, I'm actually becoming less human, it felt like. (laughs) Oh, wow, that's profound. I, Hmm. I felt like I was becoming less of a balanced person. Um, and that mm-hmm. I needed to be with other people, even mm-hmm. though I was introverted. And mm-hmm. even though I actually had to sort of force myself to get out to do it, I was always glad and I always felt more whole, more like healthier after mm-hmm. I did it. Mm-hmm. It was a quite a profound experience yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not always even about the amount of people. Some people love the concert setting surrounded right. by thousands, mm-hmm. and that's life-giving to them. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're talking about is that might be true for some, but even just finally spending some time with somebody else in right. person, a friend or yeah. or whatever, it doesn't matter the amount of people, right. but being with people is right. what brings some of that wholeness. My brother is single and has been for almost all of his life, and yeah. um you know, he has just longed for a hug, yeah. you know, mm. and yeah, I think a lot of people feel mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. 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 Well, we're going to look at Genesis 2 and particularly at verses 15 to 18 today. And I think one of the things we hear in this particular passage is how much we were created to be in relationship with other people. Like that is actually part of our DNA. Mm. And I was reminded again of that during the season of COVID and social distancing, just very experientially for myself that, yes, I am created to be in relationship with human being. But let's take a look at the scriptures. Elisa, you want to start off? Sure, thank you. Now, which verses are we going to read? Verses 15 to 18. All right. Chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. Yeah, so this is Genesis 2. And in this version of the creation story, we have God creating Adam first. And... Mm -hmm. In this particular verse, we see that Adam is alone, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for Adam to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. But what does it suggest about Adam? What does it suggest about human beings? What does it suggest about the nature of being human? Yeah, and for a nature lover and a pet lover, I just, what's wrong with I mean, look, at, look at all the pets he had. The totally. Whole, yeah. yeah. You know, what's jumping out at me is even just the words not good because that phrase doesn't show up in chapter one. Yes. It doesn't show up in most of chapter two. Right. Until verse 18. Okay. It's the that, first time just... it's good, 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 yeah. good, it's very good. Yeah. All of these good things. And in this account, as you said, of creation, it's the first time. It's almost jarring. Mm-hmm. It's not good. That's helpful. Yeah. So I think that's the first piece that yeah. jumps out. And then my guess is it's connected to the words helper and partner. Yeah. That mm-hmm. that's the reason it's not good to be alone. Yeah. I too, I had that same experience of this phrase. It's 
not good. And it's kind of like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody's fallen yet. Nobody's broken apart yet. Right. It's and still, there's something not good. Yes. Hmm. It's still God's perfect creation. One of the things that's interesting about this text is, verse 18, is that the second half is where the focus has been. I will make a helper suitable for him. Hmm. And the argument has been that, well, the helper that is suitable for him is a woman. Mm-hmm. And it says something about the woman that she's the helper, right? Hmm. But actually, the first part of this verse <laughs> says something about the man, doesn't it? What do you mean? Adam? Yeah. That it's not good. It's not good for him to be alone. That so there's he's... something missing. Okay. Does it mean incomplete? I think it can, mm-hmm. in this sense, mm-hmm. mean incomplete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good clarification because we often think of good as the opposite of bad yeah. in an evil or sinful sense. But sometimes something's not good because it's incomplete. It's just not the whole picture. It's not finished. Yeah, it's It's not not finished finished. yet. Mm. And it doesn't mean that it's bad in an immoral sense or an unethical sense or something like Mm -hmm. that. But it's just, no, you're not seeing the whole picture. Mm -hmm. I'm not done yet is Mm -hmm. what I'm hearing God's words. Right. (laughs) Right. And the thing that is coming is so significant that it will actually make what is not good, good. Hmm. Right? Like, I think that's the sense we Mm -hmm. get here. And again, back to that word good. If it's not a moralistic contrast to bad, Mm. what is the meaning of that word? Is it the same word used both times? Yeah, it's both tov. Tov is the word, Hebrew word for good. Hmm. So it's not good as his aloneness Mm -hmm. by himself, even with God. I mean, he was Mm -hmm. one Mm -hmm. with God, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. But that wasn't enough to... Enough. Yeah, and it also, we don't really have a sense of how long the time in between him being alone and Eve showing up is either, but it could just be like, you know what wouldn't be good for him to be alone? So while I'm in this process of creating Adam, I'm going to go ahead and create Eve. There seems like there might be a little space in between those two things, but it's almost like God and his creativity creation process is continuing. Hmm. It's not finished yet. Mm -hmm. It's getting ready to be completed. Yeah. That's a really good point because sometimes uh, the way this text gets interpreted is that the woman is created more as an afterthought, that God created Adam and let some time pass and realized that it was not good that he was alone. And then God tried creating some animals to see if that would work. But that is actually not really the sense that we get here. We didn't read the following verses, but God does create all these animals. Mm -hmm. And Adam comes back and says, well, there's no one here that will serve the purposes of being for me, the Mm -hmm. kind of helper or companion that um, I need. And so um, what do you make of that? I'm thinking back to your last conversation about the image of God. There Mm -hmm. was this plural language of he created them, male and female, he created them. So, you know, now we're in Genesis 2, that's being revisited, yeah. and mm-hmm. we're getting more definition of that, right. of what's behind that expression of his image. Right. And there is a variety, right. if you will, mm-hmm. a gendered variety yeah. of the imago dei, you know, of the image of God. Yeah. yeah, and the very good phrase doesn't come until after they both are there. Okay. Right, it's good, 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 good. Not good. He made the man and woman. <laughs> yeah. Then it's very good. And it's only after both are created that we see the phrase very good in chapter one. Okay, gotcha. So I'm guessing at this point in the story in chapter two is it's kind of re-being told. It's like parenthetical almost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you could almost insert it mm-hmm. uh, into chapter one, right? Like, and make flesh out the story. Mm-hmm. So how do you see that? I think that's something we, we want to wrestle with because the way that, again, that this text has been used, it's been used to make differentiations between the male and female. But the text actually seems to make the differentiation between human beings who are corresponding to each other, <laughs> even though there might be differences between Adam and the woman that God created, they still correspond to each other. There's something that they recognize in each other that is the same hmm. and makes them good partners for each other. And the differentiation is between humans and animals, or and, humans yeah. and the rest of creation. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, okay. But Adam does not find that same connection with the animals, okay. which I find really profound because mm-hmm. that seems to get lost sometimes mm-hmm. in the way that we read this text. Okay, and this would be an issue even prior to their ability to procreate. And multiply, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So the human race would end with an atom. Yeah. Right? So if nothing else, the incompleteness is the gift that God gives to the world of multiplying. Right. But is that the emphasis? I hear a different kind of emphasis that you're making right now, even prior to that. Yeah. Or am I mishearing you? No, I think actually you're hearing me exactly right. Because I think the focus is on how do we address Adam's aloneness? Yeah. That's the issue. The issue is not how do we continue the human race. The issue isn't how do we find someone who can be an assistant or whatever to Adam. It's how can we address his aloneness. That is what's not good. That's what's not good. Yeah. Another important insight on being human. In this conversation, Genesis chapter 2 emphasizes humanity's need for community and companionship, that life is meant to be lived in community, shared and enjoyed with other human beings. And so when the group continues this conversation in a moment, they're going to talk more about the relationship between these two humans that God created in his image. There's more that Genesis 2.18 has to say about being human, and so they'll go back there after this quick timeout. Our guest this week, Dr. Amanda Bankhausen, is an Old Testament professor and scholar, and she's written an award-winning book on the subject that we're covering this week called The Gospel According to Eve. It, too, is focused on Genesis chapters 1 through 3, because the question, what does it mean to be male and female, and how do we relate, that may seem like a modern-day dilemma, but it actually has been a topic of conversation throughout Christian history. The Gospel According to Eve traces the history of women's interpretation of the first three chapters of Genesis and explores the implications for our world today. You can order a copy of The Gospel According to Eve by Amanda Bankhausen when you go online to our website at discovertheword.org. And now let's go back to Genesis chapter 2 and rejoin this conversation about being human. I'd like to spend some time thinking about what Genesis 2 has to teach us about the relationship between male and female, (laughs) man and woman. Mm. And so we're going to go back to 
Genesis 2.18, but we're also going to take a look at Genesis 2.23, because I think both of those verses give us really insightful clues into that. So let's start again with Genesis 2.18, and maybe, Mart, could you read that? Sure. Verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. My translation says suitable. I like that, just right for him. Very (laughs) warm. What about you, Daniel? What does yours say? I will make him a helper as his partner. As Mm. his partner. Mm. So that word helper, Mm -hmm. that has uh, been a challenging word in the history of interpretation in terms of what does that mean for the woman, particularly, to be a helper. What are some of the things that you have heard about what that means? Yeah, and when you say that, I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of years about people debating what that word means. I'm taken back by the fact that you're saying that for thousands of years, there's been disagreement over that term. And I look to you, Amanda, now, is that true? There has been pushback about what that term means. For a long time. For quite some time, for centuries. Because I've only heard pushback, say, the second half of the last century Hmm. or later. But that's just because of my little small world. Yeah. I want to be careful about imposing a kind of egalitarianism on past interpreters, but I think the way they understood the word helper in relation to the woman and how the woman relates to the man, it certainly has changed over time in ways that have created a much more hierarchical relationship. Okay. And you're saying over a long period of time that has changed. Yeah. So it may have been different hundreds and hundreds of years ago than, say, in the 19th century or 20th century. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Traditionally, helper has been used at times Mm -hmm. to subjugate and to say that these are the very narrow ways in which a woman can add to the world. Yeah. In fact, it's been translated helpmate, which is uh, probably a King James word. Yes. And I don't even really know what it means, but it feels very cultural. Yeah. I'm interested in Daniel's response. You're what? In your 30s, right? Mm-hmm. Have you understood during your lifetime that it doesn't just mean helpmate in the old sense of the word? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, because see, in my lifetime, I mm-hmm. I go back a few, how many decades? I don't know. And it has changed dramatically mm-hmm. in terms of what I was aware of. Mm-hmm. It's even been men over the last couple of decades absolutely, that yeah. have talked about this term. Mm-hmm. Redefined it. Re- yeah, mm-hmm. and, and actually, not just redefined it, but help us understand mm-hmm. its real background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So one of the things that I think is really important to know about the term helper is that it's the word ezer in Hebrew, and that that word actually doesn't have any connotations of (laughs) hierarchy. It doesn't suggest a subordinate person, right? Or a subordinate creature or being to the person who is being helped. So So, now we're talking though about the term, I will make a helper for him. So it's the word helper we're talking about. Yeah, ezer is the Hebrew word. And that word is actually used to describe God's relationship to Israel in the Psalms. Hmm. So God is Israel's help. Now you would never say of God because God is Israel's helper, (laughs) that God is somehow less than Israel. God is subordinate to Israel. And yet somehow when it gets applied in this context, it has been interpreted to suggest Mm -hmm. that the woman is subordinate to the man, is less than the man. 
right? Yeah, because even that word helper, we typically think of like there's a first person, uh-huh. right? They're the ones making things happen and they need helpers around them to make whatever their vision is happen or their thing happen. Well, especially in the States, you know, we, we hierarchize <laughs> the CEO and then the COO or yeah, the, you yeah. know, whatever. But, you know, we've been helped in our thinking, and I might say served in our thinking and strengthened in our thinking by the work of Carolyn Custis James, who brought this concept of Acer forward for us in some of our conversations. Mm-hmm. And that's helped us. You know, I personally come from a background where I didn't grow up in a specific church or with a specific theology and was always invited to do whatever God equipped me to do. And then it was in seminary that I began to study these concepts. And I've appreciated this understanding of the word because it invites me to be all I am. Right. And I think there's something wrong when we read scripture with the eye of limitation rather than the eye of abundance. I feel God Mm. inviting us all forward to be all of who we are when we think about an Ezer being like God with Israel, supporting, strengthening, being alongside. Okay, I don't want to be intrusive, but let me just kind of invite some of our other friends to the table, okay, who I think would say something like, but wait, aren't you importing yourself and some of these present day understandings back into a Mm storyline that is it really natural to the storyline? Except the story starts in Genesis 1, Mm -hmm. right? And one of the things we noted in Genesis 1 is that male and female, both created in the image of God, both given the same mandate to have dominion over the earth, Mm -hmm. to care for it, to love it, to be ambassadors of God's rule over the world. But she's the only one called a helper. She's a helper corresponding to him. It's interesting in the history of interpretation, some of the women interpreters that I have come across have suggested that fact again, that Adam needs help says more about him <laughs> than about the women, right? Like, see, there are other ways of thinking about it. Well, if that makes you're sense. someone who needs help, right. then there's something who's, missing. Yes, who's, yes. Mm-hmm. who's subordinate to who? And Interesting. I want to move us to verse 23, because I think this actually helps flesh out, Good. at least within the context of the narrative, how Adam received the woman, which I think is really important for us. Elisa, could you read verse 23? Sure. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, I don't know about you. Is it true in your Bibles that this verse is kind of set off a little bit? Like poetry or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like poetry. What do you make of that? Is it a song? I've never noticed it before. I I had never, ever seen this in my Bible, even in the NLT, New Living Translation, it's set off as a poem. Yeah. I'm thinking of some of our conversations. We've talked about poetry in the scriptures and how poetry specifically is a really great way to show emotion Mm -hmm. um, and feeling. It's a good way to illustrate in concrete terms, so tangible terms, things we can see, taste, touch something that's happening inside of us that's hard to express. And so when I see the words, this at last, Mm -hmm. there's an excitement there. And how do I express this new relationship with this person that I've been looking for and haven't Mm -hmm. found in all the other creatures? Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. It's like me. Yeah, yeah, Shazam. (laughs) I also notice, I don't know if this is anything, but chapter one, verse 27 is also 
indented in a similar fashion. Mm. And that says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So Amanda, what do you want us to see here? Well, I think one of the things I'm struck by is that when Adam responds to God bringing him the woman, he doesn't think, oh, here's my assistant. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, yeah. Right? He does this dance of joy. I love Mm -hmm. to think of this as his Mm -hmm. dance of joy. He Mm -hmm. breaks out in the first love song (laughs) (laughs) that we have since the beginning of creation, right? He is completely taken by this creature that is in front of him. And somehow he recognizes that she is so very different from the animals who have paraded in front of him and whom you know, he gave names to, and that was all fine and good. And he understood that that was part of his exercising the image of God, you know, mm-hmm. dominion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is very different. It's like he's saying, you know, I've seen all the creatures. Mm-hmm. There is nothing like this is me. This yeah. is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I'm like almost looking in a mirror in some ways, mm-hmm. except this is even better. <laughs> right. <laughs> And Adam doesn't seem interested in sort of putting Eve in a box or defining Mm -hmm. her. or Giving her a job description. Giving her a job description. (laughs) He's just delighted that he is now not alone. And so whatever Mm. was not good is now good, Mm. right? And you feel it. You feel it when you read this verse. You feel the goodness of God's creation, the completion of the creation of human Mm. beings, of the uniting of Adam and the woman coming together to now form a new identity with this beautiful, lovely creature who is like him. You know, God creates this incredibly beautiful world, right? Mm -hmm. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. (laughs) He creates Adam and then he creates the woman and they come together and Adam does this beautiful dance of joy, the first (laughs) love song. (laughs) But then we get to Genesis 3, right? Mm -hmm. This is actually one of the harder chapters. (laughs) Yeah. It's a bit of a downer, right? We get to this. It's painful every time. It's, it's like painful. one of those novels that you keep rereading the ending, seeing if it might turn out differently this time. You I know, know it, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's where we're at. We're going to take a look at Genesis 3 and what unfolds there. Maybe one of you could take a moment to just describe what happens in the first seven verses, really. Sure. So again, we're in the setting of a very good creation and a beautiful garden that God has created. And he's provided so much for humans, for all creatures, for the world to eat, to drink and all of that. And there's one creature in the garden that's more crafty than any of the other wild animals. It's a serpent. And he comes to Eve and suggests a question which is, did God really say? So he just plants a little seed of doubt. And she and the serpent interact. And she decides to take from the tree that um, she's not supposed to. And all of a sudden we find out she hands some to her husband who was also with her in this Mm -hmm. whole experience. And as a result, the fabric of the world begins to crack. This very goodness is no longer good. Yeah. Oh, heartbreaking, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Heartbreaking, yeah. You know, one of the things that's puzzled me about this text is 
why God plants this tree of the knowledge mm-hmm. of good and evil why in even the garden. Do it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. In the first place. I don't know. Have you thought about that or has come to any conclusions about that yourselves? It's something to do with choice, mm-hmm. but it's hard to understand how mm-hmm. God knowing what would happen as a result of that would go as so far as what we've seen even mm-hmm. in our own day. Yeah. yeah. I think about how the story of the Bible introduces us to a God who is a God of love, mm. how that God wants relationship with us. I mean, we even see early on in this story that he's walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. And I think maybe there is some aspect of love that requires there to be some kind of choice yeah. to and choose freedom, to right? be in relationship and freedom. And freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah. they're not just robots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this tree seems to be maybe the symbol mm-hmm. of that choice, that freedom that actually is what opens the door for us to have a true relationship with this God. Cause we can choose to be in relationship with him as well. Rather than something programmed into yeah. us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So then how would you identify the disobedience or the what went wrong (laughs) Mm -hmm. in this chapter. I always lean back on Sally Lloyd-Jones and Mm -hmm. how she expresses it in the Jesus Storybook Bible. She interprets it, and it's her interpretation, that the serpent came to Eve and said, does God really love you? Mm. Beneath the temptation to eat of a tree, to break a rule, to disobey, comes this doubt of, is God good? Does he love me? And, or is he holding out on me? Is he, yeah. Is there something better? You know, am I going to mess up and lose him? Do I need to protect? I don't know. Just all of those. Mm-hmm. And they're like the next level questions that come after you offer free will, after you offer choice of love or not yeah. to love. Yeah, that's beautiful. Like to think of that underlying, mm-hmm. this very simple question about, do you want the fruit <laughs> of the tree <laughs> is that issue of, Do you love, do you trust Mm -hmm. God? Trusting that this is a good God who actually desires what is in our best interests. Because obviously part of what is tempting to her is she sees that the fruit was good, right? It was pleasing to the eye. It was something that she she desired. Mm -hmm. It seems to fit the beautiful thing, doesn't it? Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. The beautiful creation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This seems to be part of it. Yeah, she desires it in the same way that we often run into things even today that we desire. And sometimes the question in our hearts is, do we trust God's goodness Mm -hmm. that he, Mm -hmm. maybe even with how good this looks, Mm -hmm. that God might have a better Mm -hmm. or that God's way is better? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, actually, what's interesting about this text is it does say that she saw that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Mm -hmm. I'm struck by that, that um, what attracted her is this quest for That's wisdom good. and knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we wonder, well, what's wrong with that? Mm-hmm, <laughs> Isn't mm-hmm. wisdom and knowledge a good thing? Mm-hmm. And certainly it bodes well for the woman wanting wisdom, mm-hmm. questing after wisdom and knowledge. Shouldn't that be something that we affirm? But I think exactly what you were referring to, Daniel, there seems to be a desire, a quest for knowledge and wisdom that is outside of the fear of the Lord, Mm -hmm. right? So later in the Old Testament, we read the fear of the Lord Mm -hmm. is the beginning of wisdom. And what it seems that Eve is attracted to in this moment is constructing a world without God. 
It's mm-hmm. that choice she's making. Yeah, I've found the most helpful idea about wisdom in the Bible recently for me, and I say recently because we're always right, growing and journeying through our understandings, but has been true wisdom is seeing the world as God sees it. Right. So his reality right. mm-hmm. from his mm-hmm. perspective. And obviously we always see that incompletely. Mm-hmm. And so maybe what's happening here is this is a type of wisdom that isn't trusting in God's goodness, that right. isn't seeing things as God sees them, but is the type of worldly wisdom or desire that we have for knowledge. And I, and I think it's interesting, as you say, as we read it over and over mm-hmm. again, we have the advantage of looking back. True. This yeah. is way too familiar to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're reading backwards and seeing the consequence, sense of history, the unraveling. She was living going forward, right? Yeah. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened mm-hmm. and you will be like God, mm-hmm. knowing oh. good and evil. We have the woman here interacting with this idea and engaging this idea. She's attracted to what the serpent is saying, primarily because she's attracted to the wisdom. Mm -hmm. She doesn't actually pick up on the serpent's comment about being like God. Hmm. She's attracted to the goodness of the fruit. But still, the disobedience comes from the fact that she knows that she is choosing against God, right? Because God Mm -hmm. has commanded that they not partake of the fruit, right? So she's still engaging in sin, but she's engaging in sin in a way for motivations that we might think, oh, yeah, we can understand. We can appreciate why she would desire the fruit, right? And Mm -hmm. where does Adam fit into this? It's an interesting question, Mm -hmm. isn't it? She gives him some of the fruit and he eats it. And both of their eyes are open. Yeah. That's what we're told. They had no idea what death was all about either, right? Yeah. I mean... We look at all of this and we say, oh, good night. How could they ever do that? But they didn't really know. I keep thinking, but they're just kids. Yeah. <laughs> they're just kids. <laughs> yeah. that's you know? Well, one of the things that's really interesting is if you look at the history of artistic depictions of Genesis 3, you will often see three characters in the picture. It's mm-hmm. the serpent, Eve, and Adam. But for a long time, when we interpret this text, we've interpreted it almost solely as a conversation between Eve and the serpent. We forget that Adam is actually right there Mm -hmm. with the serpent and with Eve and doesn't actually engage the conversation, just sort of passively receives the fruit Mm -hmm. as if it's no big deal. And so what's interesting is in the history of interpretation, Eve has really taken a bad rap for this. I mean, she has fallen short. She has chosen badly. And for that, she bears the weight, the guilt and shame of plunging the world into sin, as some of the early church fathers would describe it, has been placed on her Mm. shoulders. But Adam is right there with her. Yeah. Engaged in this sin as well. And I think that's something that we really need to wrestle with Mm -hmm. is that they were engaged in this together. And what that reminds me of is in the New Testament, it doesn't say through Eve, right? It was by Adam, Mm -hmm. all All have fallen. Mm -hmm. fallen. By Christ, all have been made alive. This is a a thought that I'm going back to a couple of conversations ago that we've had when we were talking about a corresponding human being created to match Adam's need to not be alone. And I'm just struck by the fact that Eve acted solitarily Mm. at first and then in union 
with Adam? And was there a way in which they were not correspondingly together in such a way that this temptation then was acted upon? You know, that Eve needed Adam as much as Adam needed Eve. And when they acted separately, they weren't their best. Or when there was sort of one who was acting in an engaged way and the other was more passive that what Adam needed to do was actually step up to the plate mm-hmm. in this scenario True. that that might have been. Yeah. Could he have gotten there too late though? Well, it actually, the text says that he was right there with them. Okay. And Michelangelo has this lovely depiction where he actually shows Adam pushing Eve out of the way, grasping for the fruit <laughs> of the tree. <laughs> like we don't have enough information to know what Adam was doing. But what we do know is he was there. (laughs) He just didn't say anything. Yeah. Right? I just think it's important to recognize that both Adam and Eve, both the male and the female, participated in this disobedience against God. They rejected the love of God. Genesis chapter 3 is an important piece of understanding how the fall has had and continues to have an effect on being human. And we'll talk more in the next segment about understanding the consequences of the sin that entered the story there in the garden. But first, let's uh, get a preview of where the Discover the Word group will go for their next Bible study. A lot of times in the afternoon, Marlene and I will watch old Perry Mason reruns. (laughs) They know who their audience is because they always have these Medicare supplement ads. (laughs) And they always say, call this number to get all the benefits you deserve. And they've got hearing aid advertisements (laughs) and they've got digestive advertisements. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it's what you deserve that they want. It's what you deserve. They Uh want you to get what you deserve. And every time I hear that, I kind of cringe a little. Oh, man. Uh, If we all had a dollar for every time a marketing campaign said something about what we're in entitled to or what we deserve or what we're owed. Get yours. Yeah, Yeah. get yours yours right now. Well, in contrast to all those times that people are trying to convince us that we should get something because we deserve it, we're going to talk about something that God gives us that we don't deserve, his mercy. It's a perspective correcting conversation about the mercy of God that I think you'll find refreshing and encouraging. Bill Crowder leads Marty Hahn and Elisa Morgan and Daniel Ryan Day in a study about the mercy of God on the next Discover the Word podcast. And now the conclusion of our conversation with Dr. Amanda Bankhausen about being human. Well, we are so thankful that you joined us for this week of conversations. I don't know about you, Mart and Elisa, but I've learned a lot. I wish we were just getting started. <laughs> I know. I wish we had five more. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been such a pleasure to sit with you all and again, to look more deeply into the Word of God and learn more from each of you about mm-hmm. these texts. So grateful yeah. to be here. How should we finish up this series? Yeah. So we're going <laughs> to finish the series by looking at the end of Genesis 3 and what I would describe as the consequences of Adam Mm. and Eve's sin. I have to say, these verses feel a lot like we've entered into a foreign land. Why is that? So different from where we started in Genesis 1. With all the beauty. With all the beauty Mm -hmm. and the goodness. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here, what is described just 
seem so different, so not what God intended mm-hmm. the world to be. Like right? after an awful earthquake or after yeah. a horrific hurricane or yes, something, you know. It's the yeah, exactly. That's yeah. a great picture, Mark. Yeah. I think one of the things that's really important though is just to get that image that we've entered into a land that is different from where we started and hmm. that there was a critical juncture in Genesis 3 where sin was introduced into the world. And so this is actually a description of not the world got created. Mm-hmm. It is a world that is not the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps us understand some of these consequences as God describes them for Adam and Eve and for the serpent in this mm-hmm. chapter. Yeah. So maybe we could just take a closer look at verse 16, because that's the one that I think often gets interpreted in ways that are a little challenging. <laughs> Daniel, can you read sure. verse 16? Genesis chapter 3, it says, To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Yeah. So what do you make of this text, or what have you heard about this text, the way that this text has been used? Uh, Just as you've said, this is God's design. As a result of the fall, Mm -hmm. this is God's design for you. Mm -hmm. I think we really need to linger on that. Mm -hmm. Do we say to a man, God's design for you is to work and toil and struggle? Or do we say that God's design for men is to be in the image of God and to glorify him Mm -hmm. and to procreate and to multiply. So to say to God's design for a woman is to have children and hurt while you have them and then sit under your husband's rule versus you were created in the image of God and you were to procreate and you were to reflect him in all you do. That is a really powerful thought to sit with. Yeah, and what jumps out to me in there is we actually... We read it differently, first half, second half, Mm -hmm. because I've never heard anyone tell a woman in labor that that's how it was supposed to be, that she was supposed to be in pain Mm -hmm. giving birth. Mm -hmm. But that is the point when they say, this is the consequence of the fall, Mm -hmm. so this is the way it is now, Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be this way. That's our implication. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I think even in that, though, usually the pain is referred to in such a way of like, it's not how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It's just a consequence. Versus the second half, when we read that, it's like, it's not a consequence anymore. It's like, this is how it's supposed to be. But what if it is viewed as a consequence? Because I often have heard it that way, that in a fallen world, you've got to have order. Somebody's got to be at the boss. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a perfect world, you wouldn't have to have that. I don't so know. now you're moving to the other part of the... The verse. The verse the first part, yeah. Your desire will be for your husband and he yeah. shall rule over you. So yeah. in a fallen world... Yeah. Power has That's to be disseminated. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. So some of the early church fathers would say, and this goes back to our previous conversation about the beginning of Genesis 3, that because Eve was the one who plunged the world into sin, to restrain the spread of sin, because Eve is obviously more easily tempted, that the man has to rule over her. The man is given headship over the woman as a, a grace to restrain the spread of sin in the world. Now, that works only if you believe that Adam didn't also commit Mm -hmm. (laughs) some egregious sin, right? right? Yeah, yeah. because the point is he came at it knowingly. Right, exactly. Wouldn't we say, though, that the the way the Bible unfolds in its story is we get to these moments of, like, ugly reality 
And then the story goes on to describe how God is breaking into these ugly realities to bring something new, something good, right? We've gone from creation to now decreation. Things are falling apart. But even within this story, as it continues, God protects the man and the woman by, well, I don't want them to eat from the tree in this condition. So he protects them from the other tree. And then instead of emphasizing their shame, he covers them with clothing. So there's this sense of reality as a result of the fall, this ugly reality. But then immediately God's work within that ugly reality is to begin to redeem, to begin to bring new. And he rescues them from death without consequence, right? Or from uh, separation from himself without consequence. Yeah, I absolutely think that's true, that what we see in this text is God laying out, this is the consequence of sin. Or some would actually even say, this is something that you should fight against because it's of a broken and fallen world. And that throughout we see this verse and then throughout the rest of the story of salvation, God sort of working redemption among his people to bring about his original purposes, to restore blessing, that goodness to creation. But you have to get all the way to Christ, don't you? You absolutely have to get all the way to Christ. Because he lets it play out that men are able by their strength to dominate their women. Maybe, but I'm thinking about the man now. And so his work is now described as by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. There's this toil, this work. Mm But even in the Old Testament, we see, for example, when the tabernacle is being created, this moment where it doesn't sound like this, because they find these artisans, these craftsmen, these creators that bring all of this skill that God has given them to create these beautiful elements that are used in worship to God. So even in the Old Testament, there's almost this redemptive nature of the work. We look back on it now. I mean, that's the thing. We look back on the story, mm-hmm. and we look back at that, the artisans in the tabernacle as being actually portraying not only something that looks back, but looks forward to Mm -hmm. the coming of the... But you also go to, again, Paul's writings in like Galatians, in Ephesians, and setting relationships right. Mm. You know, a creation of newness and equality and love and uh, God's love instilled within us for each other. Which comes Mm -hmm. through the spirit of Christ. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And I think we see this unfold in small ways throughout the history of ancient Israel, right? Like we do see women given leadership roles. Mm -hmm. We do see, I mean, Genesis is actually kind of an amazing book because in the ancient Near East, women didn't get a lot of press, but there are so many stories that Mm -hmm. feature the matriarchs in the book of Genesis, their stories, their voices, their person. And you're like, well, that itself should Mm -hmm. clue us into the fact that God is doing something different Mm -hmm. here. He's giving women a place in creation that was not given in the larger context of the ancient Near East. It strikes me too that, and we talked about in our previous conversation that, you know, Paul writes about how sin came to the world through Adam, you know, Mm -hmm. et cetera. It's just stunning that God ordains Eve to be the mother of all life. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so she fell, okay, and made this choice as did Adam but he still redeems her to be the mother of all life going forward forever. Absolutely. And actually some would say that verse 15, where it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
that God especially commissions Eve and all women in this role of pushing back against sin. Because the you there is the serpent, right? I will put enmity between you as the serpent and the woman. And if you think of the serpent as Mm -hmm. an embodiment of sin or Satan or evil, that then women are still commissioned. They're still given that mandate. Let's camp there for a minute. That's a new thought. Especially because it gets reinforced Mm -hmm. in between your offspring, serpent, and hers. Exactly. I've always heard that that's like a hint forward toward a descendant of the woman who would rescue the race, humanity. But that's not necessarily said there. Well, I think it can be both and, right? I think it can absolutely be pointing to the birth of the Savior who would come, who is Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. The Christ. Mm -hmm. But I think it also reflects this idea that human beings, and particularly here, it seems like the woman is going to be Mm -hmm. in a constant battle pushing back against sin. And that is a role that God is giving them. She's resisting the fallen order now. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that we want to hear in this story is that God hasn't given up on his Hmm. good world (laughs) and that God continues to work his redemption and infuse his spirit in the world and through the power of Jesus Christ brings about a restoration of the original goodness and blessing. And that includes the way he created human beings to be image bearers of God, to be those who represent God's rule and reign, the goodness and justice of God's rule and reign here in the world. And that is a mandate, a commission that's given to both men and women. Mm. And so in Christ, it seems, we are, as both men and women, invited to resume that place. In his likeness. (laughs) Yes. In the likeness likeness of Christ. Which is incomplete without both. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, Yeah, it was great. Helpful conclusion to our series called Being Human. And uh, while the significant implication of what they talked about in that last segment seems to be that when it comes to male-female relationships, we, in our fallenness, will constantly be striving against the impulse to assert dominance over each other, I think we've also been challenged to see ourselves as bearing the image of God and how both men and women do that together. Well, you've been listening to another episode of the Discover the Word podcast with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and our guest, Old Testament scholar, Dr. Amanda Bankhausen. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, that challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Well, we're grateful that you chose to study with us on Discover the Word. These conversations are a major way that we here at Our Daily Bread Ministries are bringing the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible to people all around the world. And it's thanks to the faithful support from friends like you that we're able to do that through radio and podcasts, through the Our Daily Bread Daily devotional, and many other video, print, and internet resources. And if you'd like to partner with us, you can give a donation online at discovertheword.org. There's kind of a teal-colored donate circle up in the top right-hand corner of the page. Click on that, and you'll find a safe and easy way to walk through the process.
Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.